0: to know you. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to grow in what it means to know you. We thank you, Lord God, so much for your truth that shines in the darkness. We thank you for your word. We thank you also for the fact that um, your written word is about the living word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who is your message of love and hope and righteousness and who is in himself the gateway from us to you. Lord, we, um, we praise you for being all-sufficient in everything that we need. Uh, we just pray, Lord God, that you'd bless our time in your word this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, last week, I was blessed with the opportunity to go see the Green Bay Packers. Play the Colts at Lucas Oil. What a what an awesome opportunity it was. <laughs> it was a great game to watch. Ended with the Packers and all of Packer Nation hanging their hopes on one kick that was needed in order to bring the game to a tie, send it into overtime. Uh, it appears though that. Practicing kicking every day and being paid to do nothing but kick every day doesn't guarantee that a kicker will actually be able to do what he's supposed to do, and that's kick a field goal. Kick him off the team. <laughs> <And> all joy. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad that my eternity does not lie in something as small as a kick that could be thrown off by a slipping foot or something like that. Well, in chapter 5 of the book of James, we see that the mark of a maturing follower of Christ in chapter 5 is that he places his hope in Christ. A maturing follower of Christ places his or her hope in Christ Over the next few weeks here, we're learning how a follower of Christ should respond to the challenges that we face as we look towards Christ's return. Last week, we learned about the wealthy and influential oppressors who ignore God or even blatantly defy him. Throughout the ages, there have been those who cheat the poor in order to enrich themselves. With the growth of their influence, it's common for these people to harm others as they go to greater lengths to serve their idol of wealth. As we're assured of the judgment that will be faced by oppressors who fail to repent in this life. And that's what we looked at last week. Many Christians love James because it seems very practical for life. For James's original readers, he was going to get painfully practical as he brings his instructions to this issue of waiting on the Lord, waiting on Christ's return amidst the pain and the persecution and struggles. So we read about this in James 5: seven through 11. The judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Our passage from James acts as a summary of his points for following Christ in his letter. James begins his summary by challenging his readers with what should be their response to the oppressors. They're not to resort to violence or to angry calls for revolt. This doesn't mean that they're not called to speak out for the oppressed. As we should for the orphan, for the widow, for the immigrant, for the unborn, and for others. As far as their own personal rights were concerned, they were to look toward the Lord, coming with his armies, ready to judge the earth. This morning we'll learn about how we should patiently trust the Lord as we wait for his return. The the big idea here, and, and this is one that you can write on your notes page there, is that amidst trial and hardship, the follower of Christ is to patiently trust in the Lord. Amidst trial and hardship, the follower of Christ is to patiently trust in the Lord. James opens up this passage that we're looking at both this week and next week with the statement, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And he closes it saying, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, in our passage today, we begin with the command to be patient. By the end, it's morphed into this term, steadfastness, which we've, we, we learned about this in chapter 1. We'll see the process of moving from trial to blessing. As we mentioned, this passage serves as a summary of some major ideas of James's letter. As with a well-written essay today, James used points of introduction, which he refers back to in his conclusion. Let's look back at James's introduction to his letter about growth through trials. He says, in James 1, two through four, and you'll remember this, and John referenced it in regard to the football game, "Count it all joy, my brothers." When you meet trials of various kinds This is how James opens his letter For you know that the testing of your faith Produces steadfastness And let steadfastness have its full effect That you may be perfect Complete Lacking in nothing We started this journey through James's letter Learning that as followers of Christ We are called to see trials as a good thing James continues through this saying, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What we learn through James is that God has the goal of helping us to remain under trials. This is the definition. This is what it means, this word steadfastness, to remain under the trial, willing to get from it what God desires for us to get from it. If you remember, James goes from here into saying, and pray for wisdom the wisdom to know what is it that God has for me to gain from what it is that he has for me to go through here. And James moves forward in this introduction, these introduction verses of his letter, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's goal for us is becoming mature in Christ. He defines us as being perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And he works this in us through and allowing us to go through tough times that teach us to live for Him not for ourselves that teach us to walk with Him not alone that teach us to live through Him not in our own power it's only in trials it's only in, in hard times that we recognize I don't have the power to do this Lord I don't have the power to get through this. That's a blessing to realize when we have to do it through His power. So how we define if you remember how we define what it means to be perfect for life to be perfect rejoices or or changes what we rejoice about. What it means for you to be complete changes how what it is that makes you feel whole. If the American dream is what we consider perfect, we will not rejoice in anything until we obtain it. Maturity in Christ, being perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, comes through holding firm during trials. Now, again, this is a horizon issue, meaning this is is what we're heading toward as we walk in Christ this isn't something that we necessarily achieve in this life until we see him this idea of being perfect complete lacking in nothing but, but God wants is moving us toward wholeness and that wholeness isn't in gaining what we think makes us whole it's, it's in him changing our definition of what completeness is and growing us in that way It's no surprise that James doesn't assume that his discipleship material of this letter has fixed his reader. He he comes full circle back to these same principles of holding up under trial and finding blessing from it. As he writes, Be patient until the coming of the Lord. So this is the same idea of considering a trial joy because it leads to growth if we're steadfast as we go through it. So moving from the judgment on the wealthy oppressors, James helps his readers to understand this first idea here, and that is the nature of patiently trusting the Lord. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What we see here of the nature of trusting the Lord is that it is a matter of firmly setting one's heart on what pleases the Lord, who will return at any moment. James writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The necessary ingredient, then, for growth amidst trials is patience. Patience could be defined as being long-tempered. The struggling readers of James's letter are not being told to sit idly by and do nothing until Christ returns. Instead it meant as they struggle for what is right, they were to keep their temper in check. They were to make every effort to work and struggle for Christ's glory rather than their own. They were not to retreat from the battle for souls that God had led them to until he gave the order and that order was come with me to where I am I've been told by farmers that so much can be learned about our relationship with God through working the land for a crop and that's where James goes with this where as he says see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains and then he says you also be patient they're told to be patient as the farmer is patient and waits for the harvest notice that it's a a different person here than the wealthy landowner who would have hoarded his crops this farmer the fruit of the earth for him is precious him as it would have been for James's readers. In the dry Middle Eastern climate, the early rains were important for the germination of the seed, and the, the later rains would have been vital for the maturing of the grain. The prophets of the Old Testament referenced these rains, in terms of the, the importance of living dependently on God. Jeremiah writes of those who disregard God's desires. And he writes in Jeremiah 5:24, they do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives the rain in its season, the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps us and keeps for us the weeks appointed to the harvest. And you know, J- Jeremiah is saying the people that don't seek to please the Lord, they don't recognize that it's God that gives the early and the late rain that we need for a harvest. The Apostle Paul will also reference trusting the Lord for a spiritual harvest in Galatians 6, 9. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So as James has done earlier in his letter. He gets to the root of the issue. He says, "Establish your hearts." Writing, "Establish the hearts your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand." Let's first look at the reason given to us and James's readers for establishing their hearts. It's because the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's the moment when Jesus will return to retrieve us, his own, who have trusted in him for salvation. 1 Corinthians 15.52 describes it this way. says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. The New Bible commentary says this, says, while most of the writers probably expected this to happen within their lifetime, it's a tension that is always in the air. For no one knows when it will be, next second or next century. We would describe the return of Christ for his church as being imminent. Imminent means ready to take place. There is nothing left in Bible prophecy. There is nothing left that needs to be accomplished for Christ to appear at any moment. Christ's imminent return is a theme that is prominent or in the background of all New Testament writings. Paul writes to the Philippian church that the Lord's imminent return should affect their countenance. As he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or what could be translated as, let your unhurried spirit be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Meaning the Lord's return is at hand. Peter as well Writes of the Lord's imminent return and how it should affect his reader's careful behavior where he writes, the end of all things is at hand, meaning it's imminent. It's ready to take place. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I've shared before that there's a reason why we love to read or to watch stories about a hero that saves the day at the last moment i don't i don't think that there's any more ways that a story could portray the l- very last second of peril you know where the hero steps in and you know kicks something so that it flies in just the right way and hits this spot and then shoots somebody else and flips through the air and grabs the damsel and swings out of something before it blows up. You know, we live for those moments in movies and in stories. And it's because we ache for the greatest story that we're right in the middle of. And there's something within us that longs for that moment where the greatest hero is going to swing in and bring the biggest story to close it's because we're waiting for a hero and sadly if anyone has not received Christ as their savior when that moment comes and goes they'll be left feeling like they missed the ending of the greatest story ever told the struggle that they were in the middle of that missed the hero's greatest work and what revelation describes as the closing of the church age it says the holy spirit will be removed from the earth and i take that to understand that the time for coming to christ in the way that we have during this time will be brought to a close and I don't know how it is that anyone left on the earth will come to know Christ as their Savior we, not to go into it too much but we know that there will be those who, who, who do come to Christ in the last days but it's not going to be the same as it was during this time so it's vitally important for people to come to Christ now and the closing of that time will be when the Lord returns that, that coming of the Lord that is imminent that is at hand so with the reason being that Christ could return at any moment James challenges his readers and us to establish our hearts the idea of establish your hearts is to make one's heart stable to aim it firmly and solid toward the right this is again is a summary idea of what James has been teaching us through his letter. James describes the person whose heart is established in discussing asking God for wisdom, you might remember. So in discussing asking God for wisdom, he's described the person whose heart is not established. Back in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, he says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You may recall that these verses describe the person who is unsure of what he should ask for from God. The reason that he is unsure is, is that he's unsure if he wants what God desires to give him or not. Growth through trials. Later, James gives clear instruction that the heart is vitally important as the source of our desires. The heart or our desires are the cause of conflicts between us. We visited this recently in James 4, verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Again, we see the way that a heart that wavers in what it wants causes trouble, trouble in our life with God. As the verses just following this in chapter 4 write, James writes, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, he writes, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's no surprise, then, that James brings us back to the need for our hearts to be set on pleasing the Lord. It's a call to be pleased with what pleases him. To enjoy what he enjoys. That's when our prayers. Are in his name. What you ask in my name. I will do them. It's when our hearts. Are more set. On what his heart. Is set on. It's when our circumstances. Don't dictate our joy. His glory. Dictates what brings us joy. That's when. We can truly rejoice in the Lord always, because God is working all things out for His glory. You know, I bought a house that's 50 years old, needs a lot of work. Some of you guys with your 100-year-old farmhouses are like, "Oh, cry me a River," right? <laughs> when something needs to be done, to the house I start with planning kind of a surface fix you know well that floor could I could do a transition piece on that floor or you know I'll just gob a lot of paint on that crack in the wall um, many times when I get advice from someone what I don't want to hear is well if you want to do it right you need to probably do this. I'm like, oh, la, 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 <laughs> you know. Maybe my surface little fix will, will work. But James has been taking the same approach with us. In order to grow right, we have to get to our hearts. And there's kind of a danger of taking on the practical um, do this and don't do this of James without recognizing the heart change that James calls for within it. Repentance that lasts is a matter of changing the heart. Prayer that is effective comes from a heart that is firmly set on God's desires. We'll see that as we move further through chapter 5 when James talks about the prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much. because prayer that's effective comes from a heart that's set on what God desires relationships that are free of quarrels and fights are free from selfish expectations it can be as simple as coming to God on the level of of praying Lord I keep doing what I'm not supposed to do because I desire what I'm not supposed to desire Lord my heart is the problem will you change my heart will you change my desires it's as simple as that that's what James is talking about if you're going to make it to the end for his glory I don't mean losing your salvation but living for his glory establish your heart Well, I'm just going to give you just a little teaser for next week as we move further in this passage. Um, Having addressed the root, James approaches the fruit. He approaches the one of the external things that's reflected by what's going on in the heart. And, And we see that patiently trusting the Lord means desiring for him to be glorified in these last days that we live in. James turns to an outward display of patiently trusting the Lord as he writes do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged behold the judge is standing at the door he says and and a, a summary idea here is that James warns against grumbling against each other in the church because we will be judged according to how judgmental we have been toward each other that's what he's saying here do not grumble against one another and he's just kind of picking one of the surface areas that a changed heart is going to affect and and I share this with you um, because this has been really uh, a key thing that that the Lord's spoken to me on this week And, and I want him to be able to speak to you this week, too, with this. I want to give you an assignment here of just paying attention to how often you grumble against a person or a circumstance. I mean, James is... I mean, we've seen, and we'll look back next week on how he has, he, he has targeted our speech throughout the book of James. And here he gets to, like... The, the smallest sign of the fruit of this sinful speech when he just targets grumbling just a little murmuring what's, what's the problem gonna, what problem is it going to cause but I want to encourage you to pay attention this week to how often you just maybe to your spouse or to someone else maybe just to yourself Um, pay attention to that and and that's where we're going to pick up next week I'm going to pray and then the worship team is going to come up and close us in a song Lord I thank you for how you encourage us over and over again to open our hearts up to you to be changed in a real and significant way Father that brings you glory and that really brings us heart change changing from the inside out Lord, I do pray that in this small area of outward behavior that you've challenged us to look at, and how we grumble against circumstances or grumble against people, Lord, that you would open our eyes to this um, as you plan to work on us through your word um, during this week and and, um, as we revisit uh, this passage next week. Lord, we thank you for the healing that comes from your hand, and we pray, Lord God, for your healing on our community of this cold flu bug that's going around. But pray, Lord, more than anything, that you would heal hearts of bringing people to Christ. For you are imminent. We know, Lord, that you could come at any moment. We want our our family and loved ones to be able to be with you, uh, with us, in eternity. So we pray, Lord God, that you would turn many hearts to know Christ as their Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.